my name is Patricia King and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi folks, uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you and to the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, August 8th, 2012. We're going to be doing our light edition today. Another fine lecture from Dr. Corey Moss. I'll explain here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy, bizarre things being said, and the solution to this is sound doctrine, good understanding of church history, understanding your Bible, biblical literacy, doctrinal literacy, it's all the good stuff. <laughs> That's the solution. There's no there's no simple solution. And and the reason I say that is because we live in a world where, you know, basically problems um abound. And there's many people out there selling things that offer cheap, easy, pain-free solutions. There's no such thing. Listen, if you're overweight, <clears throat> <clears throat> like me, um, there's no there's no pill that you can take that's going to solve the problem. The reason why this has occurred is because, well, you haven't been properly balancing diet and exercise. Maybe you stopped exercising. Maybe you're eating too much. Things like that. So the solution, there's nothing that you can take today, you know, a pill that you can take today that's going to solve the problem. The solution requires pain. It requires struggle. It requires returning to fundamental concepts and principles of eating right and eating healthy and including in, in your day, daily routine the right amount of exercise. You do that and depending on how long it's been since you've really done that, it, it, you'll be able to start to reverse the process and your body will lose weight. It's that simple. Same thing, same principle applies when it comes to what's going wrong in the church. There's no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet. There's no stake that we can just hammer into it. What it's going to take to turn things around is proper preaching of sound biblical doctrine that focuses on Christ so that Christians are mat basically maturing in the faith through the proper hearing and listening, reading, marking, inwardly digesting of God's word, 
and then properly preaching it and proclaiming it to their neighbors as a service. The the church is off topic in many places, and the fruit that it's bearing, well, it's bad fruit, and it's growing exponentially like an infection, like a cancerous infection or gangrene. So what we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith, slowing down, taking our time, and providing good resources for you. And for so, those of you who are new to the program, you you may be going, man, I I had no idea. Well, we know that. It just, again, slow down, take your time, and travel with us as we present to you sound biblical doctrine, good church history, good lectures, good sermons, as well as critiques of bad ones to help equip you and teach you how to hear God's Word, how to read it in context, how to not be deceived by the many people who are out there trying to make merchandise of you by teaching simple solutions. All you got to do is apply these three simple, easy steps and whammo, blammo, you've got this section of your life sin-free. Hogwash. <laughs> There's nothing could be further from the truth. So what we're doing, uh, what, what I do here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, Four days a week, when we have a normal uh, broadcasting week, four days a week, I do I do normal programming. You know, that's where we cover uh, current topics, uh, sermons, things people are saying in the name of God, stuff like that. And then one day a week, I do what's called a light program. Now, that doesn't mean that the topic is light. In fact, many times, uh, the people who I turn the microphone over to are they're giving in depth lectures, and they're experts in their field. And so it's not that it's light in the sense that the, subs- the, 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 the content, the substance of it is light, fluffy, airy, n- nothing could be further from the truth. But the idea is that it's a singular topic, and I hand it over to somebody who's an expert. And I do this for several reasons. Number one, uh, very busy schedule. But number two, because it's important that you know I throw resources out at you. That's probably the wrong way of putting it, but put them out, you know, for you to hear so that you can you can follow the breadcrumbs, if you would, to good resources where you could hear God's word and these topics handled rightly and, you know, and and incorporate that into your study as you mature in the Christian faith. All right. So today's lecture today, we're going to be uh, listening to the next lecture in the series by Dr. Corey Moss uh, regarding the history of early Christianity. Today's lecture is entitled Christianity's Early Defense. And uh, this is kind of a look at Christianity's early defense against some of the early heretics and uh, as well as, you know, defense against the pagan world. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Corey Moss. I'll burn a minute or two with just brief reminders of where we've been to this point. Uh, um, at our first meeting, we talked about uh, the, the early uh, and expansive growth of Christianity in the first few centuries, and concluded by noting that this, this rapid growth of Christianity um, increased the visibility of Christianity. And, and the more aware of uh, Christianity and, and certain things about Christianity uh, the Roman Empire uh, became, the more two things happened. Uh, the more we get indications of the disdain that especially sophisticated intellectual uh, Roman authors had for Christianity, um, and also in some respects the fear that Romans, especially Roman authorities, had of Christianity. Um, so when we talked about uh, the disdain expressed for Christianity, uh, we mentioned and quoted, for example, uh, Celsus. Um, and a couple of those early uh, Roman historians, Tacitus and Suetonius. When we talked about Roman officials, we read a bit of the correspondence between uh, the, the Bithynian governor Pliny and the emperor Trajan. And uh, a phrase of Tacitus is in describing Christianity um, that appears again uh, in Pliny and also in Suetonius is a nice little phrase to, to hang our hats on here. Well, Tacitus described Christianity um, as a pernicious superstition. So, so the disdain for Christianity, pff, that's a superstition, old wives' tales. Uh, the, the implication of some sort of fear of Christianity, it's pernicious. It's, it's in some sense dangerous. So after uh, noting this uh, and, and arising from this, we talked about the persecution of the early church last week. 
And as the, the persecution is a reaction to the rise of the church, our topic for today is a reaction to the persecution. Uh, how do Christians defend themselves against the kinds of things that are being said about them and done to them in the first few centuries before Christianity is legalized? So the, the overarching question, uh, we might simply say, uh, is this. Um, what is the nature of Christianity's self-defense in the first couple of centuries of the church's existence? And, and as we walk through this, um, we'll, we'll look at Christianity's defense in, in two senses. It's a twofold defense. Um, we might call the first simply a defense of the church's right to exist. That is to say, uh, a defense of its right not to be persecuted. Uh, this is in reaction to the church's uh, accusation of its being pernicious. Uh, we're not pernicious. Uh, the, the second line of defense is what we might call the defense of its right belief. Uh, a defense of Christianity's claims as actually being true claims. Uh, a defense against its charge of being superstitious. This is, this is not a superstition. Uh, this is a true proclamation. And part of the reason that we want to walk through this um, is because this, this apologetic for or defense of early Christianity um, is, is worth looking at for reasons more than historical curiosity. Um, in, in a very real sense, these, these early church apologists are the first people taking a real stab at, at doing theology, uh, at explaining what Christians believe and why they believe it. And partly because this is the case, the, the way these early Christian apologists go about their task is, is going to have um, implications uh, extending even into our own day. And, and I think those will become obvious by the time we get to the end. So, Here's what we want to do. First, uh, look at the, the church's defense of its right to exist, its right not to be persecuted. Um, we'll, we'll note uh, in passing how this uh, begins to bleed into a defense of Christianity's right belief. Uh, and then we'll focus a bit more exclusively on, on the early church's defense of its right belief. And then we'll conclude with some of the implications that derive from this. And as previously, um, I'll, I'll try to approach this you know, oversimplifying a bit by, by trying to keep our focus on, on one or two people in particular. So we're, we're not dropping uh, two dozen different names and, and trying to figure out how to spell them. Um, we've met Tertullian before. Uh, well, we'll talk again about Tertullian today. Um, but then uh, Justin Martyr uh, is the second figure uh, that we'll give some attention to. Both are our second uh, century theologians. Uh, agreeing on many things, disagreeing on certain things. Both of them write what they title apologies, defenses of the church. And so they're an obvious place to begin. So the, the, the defense of Christianity's right to exist, to, to not be persecuted. Well, recall where we ended last week. Now, we noted last week that, that Athenagoras notes there, there are three charges commonly leveled at us. And we ended with the, the, the most serious, uh, the charge of, of atheism. And we said that sounds kind of, kind of counterintuitive. Um, uh, if Christianity is a religion, how can, it, how can they be atheists? Um, and we noted that the import of the charge isn't that Christians don't believe in a god or any god, they just don't believe in the right gods, the Roman gods, the gods of the Roman state. And so the charge of atheism isn't just a, a theological accusation, it's, it's in a very real sense a political accusation. Uh, you don't believe in our gods, there's some, some hint of, of your being seditious or, or treasonous. Um, we talked about Pliny last time in his correspondence with the Emperor Trajan. Uh, Pliny gets at this when he notes that uh, he, he had specifically forbidden political meetings 
in his attempts to deal with Christianity. Uh, he, he thinks that Christianity is in some sense a political movement. And, and of course, we're, we're, we're well familiar with this because uh, even in the New Testament, uh, Rome has a political concern with Christianity and with Christ himself being described as the king of the Jews. And this is picked up by Justin Martyr in, in what he calls his first apology. Quote, when you hear that we look for a kingdom, you suppose, without making an inquiry, that we speak of a human kingdom. Uh, it's worth noting, and we'll come back to this, that Justin is addressing his defense of Christianity to the emperor. And we'll, we'll come back to that and, and explain especially why that's important in a different context. But, but he notes, uh, you hear us talking about a kingdom, you think political kingdom, um, and partly you think this because you haven't made an inquiry, you haven't investigated. Uh, Justin goes on to explain very simply, um, it's not a political kingdom. You've got nothing to fear on that count. Um, in fact, he goes on to say, more than all other men, we Christians are your helpers and allies in promoting peace. Because we hold this view that it is alike impossible for the wicked, the covetous, the conspirator, etc., 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 to escape the notice of God. This is a, a sort of pragmatic argument that Justin lays on the table, and he thinks might perhaps impress the emperor. Um, because we're Christians, we think that God sees everything we do, and, and God punishes evildoers. Um, and for that reason, Christians um, behave in a way that, that good citizens will behave. So, more than all other men, we are your helpers and allies in promoting peace. Uh, Christian teaching is good for, for preventing crime, uh, pre for preventing immorality. Uh, those are the kinds of the things that we should be thanked for, not persecuted for. Um, he goes on, even more. Everywhere we, more readily than all men, endeavor to pay those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by Christ. And, and he quotes Christ uh, telling his apostles to render under Caesar what is Caesar's. So, uh, again, um, Christians, because of their doctrinal teaching more than, than other Roman subjects and citizens, are contributing to the good of the empire. Um, that's Justin. Tert Tertullian goes perhaps even a bit further. Tertullian says, not only do we you know, obey the law, not only do we pay taxes, but we call upon God for the safety of the emperor. Uh, this point is made in the context of, of Tertullian's noting that, that the reason Christians are persecuted is because they refuse to, to ask idols, to, to, to pray to idols, to sacrifice before idols, and ask these, these idols or false gods to protect the Roman state. Tertullian says that that's true. We can't do that because those are false gods. Um, but don't think... We don't pray for you, emperor, and for the safety and the strength of the empire. We do. In fact, here's his full, fuller quotation. Um, not only do we call upon God for the safety of the emperor, but we call upon God the true, God the living, whose favor beyond all others the emperor should desire. So this is a, a, a not-so-subtle indication that um, you should be thanking us rather than persecuting us. Because of all the people in the empire praying for the empire, we're the only ones actually talking to a real god um, who can actually do anything uh, to establish and maintain the empire. And he attempts to, to substantiate these claims. You know, it, it's one thing to simply say, 
we pay taxes. Um, we're good people. Um, we, we actually pray for you, emperor. It's one thing to say that, but, but what good reason might an emperor have to actually believe that? Well, Tertullian uh, tries this line of logic. For when the empire is disturbed, then we find ourselves sharing in the calamity. Uh, a certain sort of common sense appeal here. Um, we, we live within the Roman Empire. This is the only reason we're being persecuted, because we live within the Roman Empire. Uh, but because we live within the Roman Empire, um, we also are, are beneficiaries of, of the Pax Romana, uh, of the strength of Rome, of the, the defense of the, the borders of Rome. Uh, if we undermined the empire, then we would be undermining our own safety. He continues, because we know that the great upheaval which hangs over the entire earth is only delayed by the respite granted to the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman Empire, for, for as much uh, wicked, uh, as much evil as it's perpetrating on us Christians, Tertullian indicates, uh, is, is also doing us a, a fair bit of good. Um, the, the existence of the Roman Empire uh, and the benefits of the Roman Empire are one of the things that have allowed us to grow to the extent that we have, uh, Tertullian had indicated elsewhere. So in, in this defense of the, the church's right to exist, uh, whether it's Justin or Tertullian or Ortation or others, um, the, the, the essential argument is this. Um, we're not undermining the Roman Empire. Yeah. We're not traitorous. Uh, we're not seditious. Um, in fact, we desire the continuing strength of the Roman Empire. And, in fact, we, more than anyone else, are contributing to that strength uh, in our paying of taxes, in our moral lifestyles, and in our praying to God for the emperor and his state. Uh, so Justin's claim, and, and to a certain extent Tertullian's claim, that at least in theory, um, Christians should be deemed better citizens because they have a more serious reason to, to behave as good citizens, to behave morally, namely that, that God's watching us, not just the emperor. And that, that implicitly, at least, addresses those two other charges that we noted last time. Um, Athenagoras says that, that three things are we accused of. Atheism, Theestian feasts, and Oedipidean intercourse. And if you weren't here last time, the, 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 the fancy words there, Theestian feasts, um, a classical reference to cannibalism. Uh, Oedipidean intercourse, a, a classical reference to, to incest. Um, we noted last time that, that when the Bithynian governor Pliny investigates Christianity, um, having some, some Christians tortured to find out what exactly happens in those secret uh, church services that you have, um, Pliny finds out they ain't practicing incest and they ain't cannibals. So already in 111 AD, uh, people who have inquired as Justin says, the emperors are not doing. Uh, they already know Christians are not doing these sorts of immoral things. But it's, it's the kind of rumor that, that people continue to spread, even if they don't necessarily believe it themselves. I could give you modern examples, but I won't since we're on tape. Um, so, so, so Justin and, and the other apologists do, do feel in some sense compelled, at least implicitly, to address this. And here's where it's worth saying something about um, the, the audience that these people are writing for. Um, Justin is addressing his, his first apology to the emperor. Um, but, but he doesn't begin the letter simply, dear emperor. Uh, the, the, there's a bit of flattery here. Uh, to the emperor and to the emperor's two sons, um, he addresses them as philosophers and lovers of learning. While he refers to himself, Justin, as a representative of all who are unjustly hated 
and abused. Uh, the, the contrast here is, is intentional. This allows him to emphasize, as he does in his introduction, that, quote, reason directs those who are truly philosophical to honor and love only what is true and just. So, so you, emperor, and, and your sons um, have pretensions to being philosophers. Ah, because that is the case, uh, you should love what is true, and you should behave in a manner that is just. Now, with that in mind, uh, let's talk about these rumors. True reason forbids you, for the sake of a wicked rumor, to wrong blameless men. Uh, in other words, you, you've heard these rumors about, about our cannibalism, about our incest. Uh, you cannot persecute us on those accounts. Uh, those are rumors, uh, baseless rumors. Uh, tell you what, uh, Justin says, I invite you, nay, I demand you to investigate this. If you, if you find any Christians who are practicing cannibalism or incest, by all means, imprison them. Execute them. That's criminal. But I'm pretty confident you're not going to find that, that any of us do that. And you remember um, how Pliny had addressed Trajan when he finds out that Christians aren't doing these things, but he's been executing them anyway, uh, he writes to Trajan with a specific question. Is the name itself deserving of death or only the crimes associated with the name? You know, that is to say, um, there aren't any crimes being committed by people who have this name. Can I, should I, have them executed just for the name, Christian? And, and, and uh, Justin explicitly addresses this. By the mere application of a name, nothing is decided. Uh, just because we are called Christians, that, that doesn't really tell you anything about the way we behave. Yeah. Maybe it should, um, but, but it certainly does not prove that we're doing these things Christians are accused of doing. Um, just as a, as a very brief aside, this, this, is perhaps, uh, this, this perhaps explains why Justin's apology, his defense of Christianity, ends with, with, with what is uh, our earliest, fullest account of what's actually going on in, in Christian worship services. Um, because these were uh, behind closed door, uh, under cover of night, um, they were secret, um, until Justin writes, we don't have a good idea what they're doing. And then he gives us a fairly full description of what's going on, which seems a bit out of place. Uh, but perhaps it, it, it ties into uh, this attempt to, to refute the rumors. Uh, here's what we're doing in our worship services. It's not what you think. So the first line of defense uh, attempts to establish something like this. The goodness of Christians. Um, we're, we're, we're good people in a, in a moral sense. We're, we're not behaving immorally or criminally. Um, but we're also good for the empire. That's the first line of argument. Um, good, though, of, of course, can be relative. Good, good compared to what? So here's something else that, that Tertullian and, and Justin and others of this era have in common when they're defending the church. Uh, they hold up Christianity for comparison and contrast with those contemporary religions that are tolerated and, and even sanctioned and even promoted. And so here's where, where the defense of Christianity's right to exist and its right belief uh, begin to bleed together a little bit. And, and again, Justin is, is representative here. Um, Justin points out things like this. Um, according to your own literature, your own poets, your own you know, novelists, your own uh, historians, uh, the gods of Greece 
adapted and adopted by Rome, the, the, the Greco-Roman pantheon. Um, according to yourselves, these gods, for example, both defiled women and corrupted boys. Um, Justin notes that Jupiter himself, the governor and creator of all things, according to you guys, was both a parricide and the son of a parricide, um, a, a, a father murderer, um, as well, Justin notes, as, as a serial rapist. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it PG-13 here for the, for the next paragraph, but, but, but there are two perhaps especially revealing accounts um, that, that come up more than once in this, this apologetic literature, um, especially revealing. Um, Zeus. Uh, we, we needn't spend any time on who Zeus is, but, but he's important in the pantheon of, of Greco-Roman gods. Um, Zeus is married. He's married to a woman named Hera. Um, but, but Hera is not only Zeus's wife. Uh, Hera is also Zeus's sister. Hold that thought. Um, Saturn. Um, I, th I think this this reaches PG thirteen. Um, Saturn not only castrates his own father, but he then has him murdered. It is therefore prophesied that because you have done this, the same will happen to you. Saturn is so convinced that this prophecy will be true, that, that his wife will give birth to a son who will kill him, that Saturn is present in the delivery room, so to speak, and as each child is born, he immediately devours it. Um, and 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 the, the apologists point out, hey, we're not making this up. This is what appears in your own writings that, that, that predate Christianity by, by hundreds of years. So, were you, were you saying something about Christians being incestuous cannibals? Um, is, is that really a charge that you want to level against us when it's a charge that... that is quite obviously applicable, not, not necessarily to you, but to your gods. Uh, the people that you worship are doing things that we don't do. And, and here's again where the, the, the right to exist and the right belief kind of bleeds together. Um, on the one hand, if you can tolerate that kind of religion, you know, a, a religion that worships father murderers, serial rapists, cannibals, if you can tolerate that kind of religion, certainly you can tolerate our religion. Okay, we're going to pause the lecture right there, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put dang. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. No, 
Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jet. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 <laughs> we'll soon change your mind about that! Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com, I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lacks comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll scream. And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um... Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply which to run out. Oh. So you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now? If they want to, yes. Oh. Well, the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Get back here. We're not done yet. Max Holiday's Birdcage Shooter, The Buddy Cuts Part 2. Disapproved of by Heretics Everywhere. Get it before they do. All right, we're back. Warning, uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor isn't preaching the gospel or rightly handling God's word, you know, things like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our famous two friendly yellow buttons. Uh, one of them says donate, the other says join our crew. Here's how this works. The join our crew button, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute 
a mere $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, the idea is this, is that the more crew members we have, the the better it makes it possible for us to budget and, and work out uh, our monthly expenses. And keep in mind that as our audience grows, uh, so do our expenses on a monthly basis. So it's a great way to support us. And occasionally we have crew member benefits or uh, you know perks for those who are members of the crew. And uh, oftentimes those uh, show up in the form of ebooks that we're publishing and things like that. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, you know, as you listen to Fighting for the Faith, we will announce different crew member benefits. And uh, the other button, by the way, is the donate button that allows you to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. And uh, of course, if you'd like to do that to the traditional way, you do that by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508. Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038, and thank you for your support. And if you don't already have, uh, if you haven't already got your T-shirt for our from our bake sale, uh, well, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale and uh, either get uh, a bracelet made by my mother-in-law or uh, this year's Pirate Christian Radio T-shirt. The idea is, is that we have these bake sales to help us get through the lean, mean, financially thin summer months. Again, thank you for your support. All right, we're going to get back to Dr. Corey Moss and his lecture regarding the early defense of Christianity. Here we go. But but further, can you really believe that that, that old religion is true? I mean, do, do you really believe that those kinds of gods exist and deserve your worship? So there, there is an element of the truth question here, and 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 although the uh, the apologist will go out of their way to prove that that your religion is absurd, you know, just pointing out that one religion is is absurd or false does not prove that that the alternative religion is true, uh, but it does raise the question. Let's let's compare the truth claims of our two religious systems and and see which is perhaps worthy of belief. Um, when Justin himself um, argues that these, these gods of Greece and Rome are no gods at all, um, he doesn't merely assert that as his own conclusion or the conclusion that, that people, reasonable people, might reach themselves based on reading the stories. Um, he, he asserts this as his belief uh, in an interesting and potentially effective way. Uh, with an appeal to authority. Um, here's where he introduces the topic. Socrates endeavored, by true reason and investigation, to bring these things to light, uh, namely the falseness of traditional Greco-religion. Uh, but of course, Socrates was decried as an atheist, and on that charge, uh, and on the charge that he was introducing new divinities. Um, the, the implicit parallel of, of Justin and Socrates um, is, is not coincidental. Um, and in fact, this whole genre of, of apology um, is, is, does not originate with Christians. Um, there is a very famous apology of, of Socrates, a, a defense of Socrates, um, written by Plato. And then Justin is, is playing on this. Um, Socrates very reasonably said the old gods are no gods. Um, there's precedent for this sort of thing. Um, there's also precedent for describing as atheists and then having executed people who say that sort of thing. In other words, uh, this, this story has played out before. Um, Athens was on the wrong side of history, so to speak. Um, and we know that now. Don't, don't let yourselves be on the wrong side of history this time. And that appeal to, to Socrates um, is also going to allow Justin to, to make a move that, that might be counterintuitive in, in light of some of what we've just said. Um, Justin, Justin has gone out of his way to emphasize that, that the old gods, uh, the gods in, in, in which you believe, um, absurd. 
immoral. Um, um, couldn't be more unlike the God that we Christians believe in. But at the same time, he's going to go on to emphasize um, how much the, the thinking and the believing of the Greeks and the Romans actually has in common with the thinking and the believing of Christians. Um, how he does this, uh, this is gross oversimplification, but, but in some respects, um, what Justin is doing here, and, and it's indicated by his appeal to Socrates, is, is kind of making a distinction between uh, Greco-Roman religion and, and Greco-Roman philosophy. It's, it's not a nice, neat distinction that they would have made uh, the way that we make it today. But, uh, you know, writers like Hesiod uh, and, and, and Homer, um, they're, they're kind of absurd. Uh, but, but philosophers like Socrates and Plato, uh, that, that, that's much better. Well, what, what sort of things does Justin want to say uh, Christians believe in common uh, with, with Greek philosophers and, and the Roman inheritors of that? Well, the fundamentals, some, some very basic fundamentals. Um, your better philosophers... For example, Plato, Justin says, uh, professed something very much like our doctrine of creation. You know, not a, not a creation ex nihilo out of nothing, but, but, but even according to Plato, um, God arranges the universe in an orderly fashion, uh, the, the kind of universe that we see today. Um, your, your better philosophers profess that, that the world as we know it will eventually come to an end. It will be consumed, uh, perhaps by fire. Um, we teach something like that. Um, your, better, uh, your better philosophers profess that the soul is immortal, uh, that, that, that at the time of the, the, the body's death, uh, the soul continues to exist. Um, and, and your better philosophers tell you that post-mortem, after death, uh, this soul goes on to either some sort of, of state of blessedness or, or state of punishment. Uh, we teach something very much like that. Justin says. Justin says, even, even beyond the, the sort of generalities of, of religion, even when you get to the specifics of Christianity, uh, an awful lot of what your poets have said, we're saying something very similar. Uh, your poets talk about incarnate gods, gods appearing on earth in human form. Uh, your poets talk about gods being born of virgins, performing miracles, uh, suffering, even dying. Again, re recall the, the, the sort of handle to hang this on. Uh, the, the description of Christianity as a pernicious superstition. Um, Justin strings together these similarities with, with Greco-Roman thought to ask something like this. How can our beliefs, our Christian beliefs, be uniquely pernicious, dangerous, if they sound so much like your own beliefs? And, and how can our beliefs as Christians be so easily dismissed as, as superstitious silliness when they sound so much like your own beliefs? That's my paraphrase. Here's, here's Justin's own words. If on some points... We teach the same things as the poets and philosophers whom you honor, and on other points are fuller and more divine in our teaching, then why are we unjustly hated more than all others? Um, and in fact, that's not quite the whole quotation. I've, I've skipped over a very important clause. Because Justin's point ultimately is not going to be Simply, we teach the same sort of things that you teach. Here's the clause I skipped over. And if we alone afford proof of what we assert. So, you guys talk about incarnate gods. Interesting, we talk about the same thing. We got proof. Uh, you talk about um, uh, uh, incarnate gods who are born of virgins. Interesting that we talk about the same thing. What's different? We got proof. 
Um, you talk about God suffering and dying. How interesting that we talk about that too, but only we have proof. And, and so the, the, the central section, quite, quite literally, the, 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 the middle of Justin's first apology, it's also the longest section, um, is given over to um, a defense of Christians having right belief on the basis of uh, the, the incarnation, uh, miracles, suffering, and death, and rising of Jesus um, being foretold in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Um, we won't go through all of those. Um, here's, here's what I simply want to emphasize at the point, uh, at this point. Um, what, what Justin's done here, what Justin's doing here, is, is raising a question about theological method. Um, what we Christians believe it's kind of like what you believe, um, but, but that, that doesn't determine whether or not it's true. Uh, might determine that you should stop persecuting us unless you're going to persecute everyone equally, but, but doesn't determine that what we believe is true. So how are we going to, to demonstrate that what we believe is true? Um, Justin is going to appeal most especially to the Old Testament. But again, Justin notes that we do teach an awful lot of things that sound like what you teach. And, and Justin's the kind of guy, I haven't given you anything of his, his biography, but, but Justin's the kind of guy that, that can't just note that and move on. Uh, once he lists all of these striking similarities, uh, Justin is compelled to ask, uh, what, what in the world accounts for this? Now, remember that, that Justin had appealed to Socrates as someone who, long before the rise of Christianity, had pointed out that, that these, these myths of your gods, that they're not true, they're not rational, they're not reasonable. Well, it's in that context uh, that, that Justin begins to answer this question, what accounts for the similarities uh, between Greek philosophy and the Christian religion? Quote, not only among the Greeks did reason prevail to condemn these things, the, the false pictures of the gods, through Socrates, but also among the barbarians, uh, the, the non-Greeks, were they condemned by reason, by reason himself, who took shape and became man and was called by us Jesus Christ. Um, the two times that the Justin uses the word here translated as reason, what lies behind it is the Greek word uh, logos. Um, we, we are familiar with the, the term logos because it appears in the prologue to, to St. John's Gospel. In the beginning was the word, the, the logos. Uh, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then when you get down to, to, to the, 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 about the middle of, of chapter 1, um, it's clarified that this logos we're talking about is Jesus Christ himself. Um, this is what Justin is saying. Reason himself, who took shape, who became man, and was called Jesus Christ, condemns that old Greco-Roman mythology. But his, his choice to emphasize this notion of the logos um, is intentional. Um, we know it from John 1, um, but it was well known to Justin's original audience because it was uh, a central emphasis of, of Platonic philosophy and Neoplatonic philosophy and Stoic philosophy. Uh, one of the addressees of, of Justin's apology is, is the, the future emperor Marcus Aurelius, uh, himself something of a Stoic philosopher. Um, even, even in the Hellenized Judaism of the day, this logos is, is a very important concept. Um, and you can see um, some, some English words that come of it. Um, logic. Um, for, for the Stoics, for the Platonists, uh, for, for the Hellenized uh, Jews of the day, this logos is a divine rationality that pervades the entire universe and um, which human beings uniquely possess within the universe. 
We can understand things like uh, the, the rationality, the order of the universe, because we uniquely possess this, this reason, this logic, this logos. And so Christians know what the Greek philosophers knew, but know it more emphatically and more clearly because they have the logos, not in a vague, abstract way, but in person. This logos took on human form and spoke to us. So Justin says, um, you know, where we have to part with, with people like Plato and Socrates, it's not, quote, because the teachings of Plato are contrary to those of Christ, but only because they are not in all respects like them, as is the case with the doctrines of the others, Stoics, poets, historians. Each of these discoursed correctly, seeing that which was akin to Christianity through a share in the seminal divine logos. Um, why do Socrates, Plato, the Stoics say so many things that sound like what Jesus himself says? Well, because this, this logos at the heart of, of Greek thinking, Stoic thinking, this logos is Jesus. And, and, and so there's something reasonable, rational about Christianity. Um, one, one can arrive reasonably at some of the things that Christianity teaches, um, even if you don't know the incarnate Jesus himself. Now, now, Justin finds that very, very appealing. And if it makes people nervous, um, even people in his own day, it's, it's because he pushes it to what might be considered um, one logical conclusion. Um, here's Justin talking about Jesus as the Logos. Uh, that, that all rational people share in. Um, he is the Logos of whom the whole human race partakes, and those who live according to the Logos are Christians, even though they be accounted atheists. Such, for example, were Socrates and Heraclitus among the Greeks, and those like them. In other words, um, if, if Jesus is the Logos, and if Socrates knows the Logos, Socrates knows Jesus even before his incarnation, even without aid of reading the Old Testament. And, and so Justin says, um, Socrates is a Christian, um, which, which makes a lot of people nervous, and even among his contemporaries. Uh, Tertullian, uh, again, both Justin and Tertullian write apologies, defenses of Christianity. They, they, they've got a common enemy, so to speak. Um, but they don't address this, this common foe in quite the same way or draw quite the same conclusions. Um, Tertullian is, is aghast at the sort of conclusion that, that Justin reaches with regards to pagan philosophy. Here's Tertullian. Um, we want no curious disputation after possessing Jesus Christ, no inquiries after enjoying the gospel. With our faith, we want no further belief. Um, we have the gospel. We have Jesus. We don't need or want anything else. None, none of that philosophy. Um, not only are the philosophers not you know, secret Christians, as, as Justin might conclude. But Christians, according to Tertullian, can't be philosophers. Um, Christianity is, is not only not affirmed by philosophy, but Christianity is true precisely because it contradicts what philosophers tell us. Here's, here's Tertullian, perhaps, at his most explicit or, or extreme on this point. Uh, the Son of God died. Uh, do we believe that because some, some of the Greek myths talk about sons of God dying? No, 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 no. The Son of God died. That is by all means be, to be believed because it is absurd. Uh, the fact of the resurrection is certain 
because it is impossible. Um, if, if, if Justin is going to be the apologist who emphasizes the reasonableness, the, 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 the rationality of Christianity, um, Tertullian is going to emphasize the absurdity of Christianity. And so if you want to be a Christian, according to Tertullian, um, don't emphasize what it has in common with, with pagan thought. Emphasize what, it, what is unique about it. This is what's behind um, uh, perhaps what is the, the most frequently quoted phrase uh, the Tertullian pens. Now, what is there in common between Athens and Jerusalem? Um, we, we hear that quoted in a variety of contexts. Um, he goes on to, to ask the same question in a couple of different ways. Um, what concord is there between the academy and the church? What between heretics and Christians? Now, the, the parallels there, Athens and Jerusalem, the academy, Plato, and the church, heretics and Christians. Philosophy produces heretics. And he's quite explicit. Heresies themselves are prompted by philosophy. And so here is one of, of the longest-lasting, uh, most significant implications of what the apologists are doing in the second century. Um, unhappily, the greatest implication isn't that they convinced emperors to stop killing Christians. Um, in fact, there's no real good evidence that the emperors ever read these things, much less responded positively to them. But, but one of the most important implications is that they inaugurate this debate about, about what we might call theological method. Um, it, it's raised in the context of a common defense of Christianity against its persecution. But as, as Tertullian's quotation makes plain, um, already in the second century, uh, the persecution of Christianity is not the church's only concern. Um, already the church is already being threatened by heresy. And it's here that, that this debate over how best do we do theology is, is first going to intensify um, and then find some sort of, of consensus and clarity. And so when we come back next time, we'll, we'll give our attention to um, two particular early uh, heresies, how the church responds to them, and, and how that um, first intensifies and then clarifies this debate over how do we do theology? You know, do, we, do we do theology with, with philosophy as an aid? Uh, do we do it by entirely rejecting philosophy? Um, do we do it uh, in terms of scripture alone? Um, those are some of the questions uh, that will come up next week. Thank you. Um, I went a little bit longer this time, so we don't have a terrible lot of time for questions, but yes, please. Could you give us a little background of uh, Tertullian and Justin Martin? Were they Roman uh, Christians? Uh, yes, good question. Background for people like Tertullian and Justin. Um, Tertullian is a North African. Justin is going to spend most of his career in, in Rome. Um, neither of them grow up Christians. Um, and, and this is this is worth noting. They are both converts to Christianity, and they're converts precisely from backgrounds in philosophy. Um, and it's it's that background that they both kind of interpret different ways. According to Justin, ah, this was very helpful to me in coming to Christianity. So perhaps it will continue to be helpful. Um, Tertullian kind of reacting against it and, and abandoning it. Uh, yes, uh, good question. Important question. Well, I know you wouldn't say that Socrates was a martyr for Christ, but in a way, did he kind of ferment a beginning that the Greeks would later be able to accept Paul's teaching? Because he really started the thought that there might be one God. Um, yeah, good question. Um, well, we could, we could certainly say this much, that 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 
the teaching of Socrates as developed by Plato and then by uh, middle and neo-Platonists, um, all along the way, we can point to particular Christians who will say, at least of their own uh, coming to Christianity, their own conversions, I found Plato very helpful. Uh, I found the Neoplatonists very helpful. Um, it would be much harder to say with any conviction that this, this prepares the way as a whole for Christianity. Um, one of the fellows I did not mention, though, uh, Clement of Alexandria, um, he, he will make this point. Um, this, this is his argument, that uh, philosophy was to the Greeks as the law was to the Jews. Um, it was a, um, the way Paul speaks of a, of a tutor to prepare the Jews for the coming of Christ. Uh, Clement says that's what philosophy was for, for the Greeks. This, this was a gift to them specifically to prepare them for the reception of the gospel. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you would prove that sort of thing, but but yes, this is a a common assertion, a common argument, and and there's certainly something to it. Well, again, thank you. Great lecture. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. At my email address: talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>